It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who. In light, light 'em up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of sight. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today is Tuesday, September the fifth, and.、Uh, Uh, Monday. This、uh, coming Monday is the fifth anniversary of the attack on the Twin Towers, Pentagon, and so forth. Uh, I dug through my、um, my collections, my poems late last night. I was floundering around trying to find some wise words to address this anguish and ambiguity that so many of us feel. Oh, what's that line? Yes, when everybody's wrong, nobody's right, and so forth.、Um, it's so difficult. What was it? F. Scott Fitzgerald once said that the test of first-rate intelligence. Is the capacity to hold opposing ideas in the mind and continue to function. The difficulty, of course, is、uh, what is it?、Uh, every time we say one thing, the opposite seems to be true. At the time, back、uh, in 2001, the poem that everyone was reading was W. H. Auden's poem.、Uh, September the first, nineteen thirty-nine, written when Hitler marched into Poland.、Uh, he talked about、uh, our dishonesty, that sort of thing. At the same time, it seemed to me that there was not the degree of ambivalence、uh, that most of us have now. I found one poem by Jack Hirschman, and I. Put that on a tape. It will be on Thursday morning at eight twenty. I thought that was the best time to air it. It's called the Twin Towers Arcane, and there's one other. That's a long poem about、uh, the moment,、uh, the event.、Uh, he addresses his daughter. That sort of thing. There's another poem right next to it. These are the last two poems. In Jack Hirschman's book、uh, *Front Lines*, it's a collection. It's his selected poems from City Lights books. It's the City Lights Pocket Poet series, and I'm sure it's in the stores right now.、Uh, you know,、uh, Jack Hirschman has been around since since about forever. He's eight days younger than I am, though. Let's see. Jack Hirschman was born December thirteenth, nineteen thirty-three. Right, I was born on the fifth, the day Prohibition was repealed. It's by the time Jack was born, everybody was drunk again. Yes, he was born in the Bronx, New York. Worked as a reporter in his teens, as an academic in his twenties. He was dismissed as a teacher at UCLA in nineteen sixty-six. 
having broken state examination laws in his attempt to prevent students from being drafted into the Vietnam War. Oh, that's fascinating. I wasn't purged until 1972. Uh, for the past 30 years, Jack Hirschman has lived in San Francisco, and for the past three years, he spent um, six months in England as well. And the back of the book here goes on to talk about all the books he's published and all of the left-wing um, organizations and associations. Uh, it's too long to read to you. Once again, this is in the uh, poet series from City Lights Books. It's called Front Line Selected Poems by Jack Hirschman. His last name is spelled H-I-R-S-C-H-M-A-N. And he is, of course, a poetic warrior, a painter, uh Let's see, Kabbalist, communist, whatever. Uh, says here, currently, currently, he's with the League of Revolutionaries for a New America and a magazine called Left Curve, books translated and published in Italy and France, uh, where, among other countries, he gives yearly readings and on and on. Now, I want to read you one short poem that he wrote uh, in 2001. It's the second to the last poem. This last one is about, um, it's just about eight minutes long, and I put it on the Thursday morning show at 8.20 there in the morning. This one is called The Happiness. And uh, Jack writes, mm, There is a happiness a joy in the soul that's been buried alive in everyone and forgotten. It isn't your barroom joke or tender intimate humor or affections of friendliness or a big, bright pun. They're the surviving survivors of what happened when happiness was buried alive, when it no longer looked out of today's eyes and doesn't even manifest when one of us dies, we just walk away from everything, alone with what's left of us going on being human beings, without being human, without that happiness. For some reason, that poem um, seems to sum up for me some of what I've been feeling for the last five years. Uh, Confusing, isn't it? Uh, in any case, I dug into my anthology of women on war, this international anthology of writings from antiquity to the present. You remember old Euripides. Uh, actually, Euripides was apparently a guy, but he's the Greek poet who wrote plays to tell us uh, about the fallout from violence, from war, uh, the effects on all of us, women and children. Uh, actually, um, it isn't a matter of uh, actual gender. It's a matter of what we would call, uh, what do we call that? Um, not right and left wing, but uh, masculinity and uh, femininity are also concepts that confuse. We really need new language for um the uh, violent and the non-violent, uh, something to separate. Um, otherwise, 
men seem to think they're being blamed for uh, what a handful of men do. Anyway, Robin Morgan was the person who was the closest. Um, her her uh, essay is called Ghosts and Echoes, and she lives about a block and a half from Ground Zero in New York. And I thought uh, this was a, a hands-on uh letter she started emailing all of her friends and her ghosts and echoes seems to capture the moment uh she of course uh is hoping that we will not react the way that we did and uh <laughs> yes that that wonderful moment when we had the moral high ground and then lost it uh when we went to to war anyway Robin Morgan's letter from Ground Zero. Uh, now, I picked it because, of course, she's a feminist, um, an award-winning writer and political theorist and journalist and former editor-in-chief of Ms. Magazine. Um, she's been in the international women's movement for a quarter of a century. Founder of the Sisterhood is Global Institute, first international women's think tank. Uh, she serves on the boards of any number of feminist organizations, and of course, uh, she tries to make a connection between, uh, well, let's, let's say the, uh, what I like to, to uh, think of is two teams, the fascists and the feminists. And of course, you will find men and women on both teams, Ann Coulter's out there, right? <laughs> Good old Ann Coulter, uh, uh, and, uh, uh, it's interesting uh, what's happened. I think most people have finally begun to understand that feminism and patriarchy have something to do with wars. Uh, anyway, Robin Morgan has published 18 books, uh, mostly the Sisterhood is Forever, Sisterhood is Powerful, all those anthologies. Saturday's Child is a recent one. Um, there's... Uh, uh, a fascinating work called The Demon Lover on the Sexuality of Terrorism, written in 1989. That one really had a few twists and turns. Uh, Morgan traveled to Mideast refugee camps to work with and interview Palestinian women, and in her writing she argues for noticing the connection between patriarchal power, religious fundamentalisms of all kinds, and the inevitability of terrorism. The demon lover gained new resonance in the wake of the September 11 attacks, and a new updated edition in 2001 included as an afterword Morgan's letters from Ground Zero, emails she sent to her friends and colleagues around the world in the uh, days and weeks following the attacks, Morgan lives a mile and a half from the World Trade Center site, and she has these gripping eyewitness accounts. Uh, and she goes for the larger meaning, the global um, considerations. I'm going to just skip along through here and uh, try to give you some notion of how she connects the dots. Uh, she writes, Dear friends, your response to the emails I sent on day two of this calamity has been overwhelming. 
In addition to friends and colleagues, absolute strangers uh, have replied from Serbia, Korea, Fiji, Zambia, all across North America, as have women's networks in places ranging from Senegal to Japan, Chile, Hong Kong, Saudi Arabia, even Iran. You've offered moving emotional support, and on and on. She says that uh, um, she wants to focus on New York. That doesn't mean she's any less anguished for the victims of the Washington or Pennsylvania calamities, but uh, she writes about New York because she lives there. Today was day eight. Abnormal normalcy has settled in. Our usually contentious mayor, previously bad news for New Yorkers of color and for artists, has risen to this moment with efficiency, compassion, real leadership. She's talking about Mayor Giuliani. City is alive and dynamic. Below 14th Street, traffic is flowing again. Mail is being delivered. Newspapers are back. But very early this morning, I walked east, uh, and I found the 16-acre site itself closed off uh, as is a perimeter surrounding it. It's controlled by National Guard. That's a command post. Uh, It's a staging area for the rescue workers. However, one is able to approach nearer to the area than was possible last weekend. Uh, The closer one gets, the more one sees and smells what no TV report and very few print reports have communicated. I find myself giving way to tears again and again, even as I write this. If the first sights of last Tuesday seemed bizarrely like a George Lucas special effects movie, now the directorial eye has changed. It is the grim lens of Agnes Varda, juxtaposed with images so surreal they could have been framed by Brunel, or Kurosawa. It was a bright, uh, cloudless, early autumn day. As one draws near the site, the area looms out of a dense haze. One enters an atmosphere of dust, concrete powder, plumes of smoke from fires still raging deep beneath the rubble. There was an estimated two million cubic yards of debris. Along Lower 2nd Avenue, uh, ten refrigerator tractor-trailer trucks are parked. Oh, if you stand there a while, a New York City medical examiner van arrives with a sagging body bag. Thick white ash, shards of broken glass, pebbles, chunks of concrete cover street after street of parked cars, Uh, handprints on car windows and doors, handprints sliding downward. They've been left like frantic graffiti. Sometimes there are messages finger-written in the ash, like, quote, You are... Just the letters. You are alive, the word. She goes on to say, You can look into closed shops, many with cracked or broken windows, peer into another dimension. 
uh, a wall clock stopped at 9.10. Restaurant tables meticulously set, but now covered with two inches of ash. Grocery shelves stacked with cans and produce bins, piled high with apples and melons, all now powdered chalk white. A moonscape of plenty. People walk unsteadily along these streets, wearing nose masks against the still particle-full air, the stench of burning wire and plastic, erupted sewage, the smell of death, of decomposing flesh. I have a footnote here. I remember thinking at the time uh, that it was very, very dangerous to go to that site, um, we know now that that was certainly true. The uh, first responders and the people who did the cleanup work are now, of course, suffering the ill effects, uh, the aftermath. Uh, they're getting sick. Uh, I wondered, well, uh, she goes on to write, Probably your TV coverage shows the chain link Fences a flutter with yellow ribbons, the makeshift shrines of candles, flowers, scribbled notes of mourning, or of praise for the rescue workers that have sprung up everywhere, uh, especially in front of firehouses, police stations, hospitals. What TV doesn't show you is that near ground zero, the streets for blocks around are still a week later, adrift. In bits of paper, singed, torn, sodden pages, stock reports, trading printouts, shreds of appointment calendars, half of a to-do list. What TV doesn't show you are scores of tiny charred corpses now swept into the gutters. Sparrows, finches. They fly higher than pigeons, so they would have exploded outward, caught midair in a rush of flame, wings on fire as they fell. Who could have imagined that? The birds were burning. From a distance you can see the lattices of one of the towers, its skeletal bones, the soul remains, eerily beautiful in a symmetry as if a new work of abstract art had been erected in a public place. Elsewhere you see the transformation of institutions. <laughs> the new school and the New York University are missing person centers. A movie house is now a rest shelter. A Burger King is a first aid center. A Brooks Brothers clothing store is a body parts morgue. A record shop, a haven for stranded animals. Libraries are counseling centers. Ice rinks are morgues. The bank is now a supply depot. In the first four days, it distributed 11,000 respirators and 25,000 pairs of protective gloves and suits. 
Nearby, a mobile medical unit housed in a McDonald's has administered tons of debris. Uh, let's see. Excuse me, I made a mistake here. Uh, a mobile medical unit housed in a McDonald's has administered tetanus shots. 70,000 of them. 70,000 tetanus shots. The brain tries to process all these numbers. Only, just only 50,000 tons of debris had been cleared by yesterday out of two and a half million tons. Now, my footnote here says, this is day eight she's talking about. I'm asking myself why, just why, that kind of um, work couldn't have been done in New Orleans and in the Gulf Coast states within uh, a week, let's see, eight days of the... uh, terrible disaster that happened down there. Uh, Yes, only 50,000 tons of debris cleared by yesterday. That would have been by the end of the first week. Uh, She goes on to say, the medical examiner's office has readied up uh, 20,000 DNA tests for unidentifiable cadaver parts. At all times, night and day, a minimum of a thousand people live and work on the site. Such numbers daze the mind. It's the details, the fragile individual details that melt numbness into grief. There's an anklet with Joylene engraved on it, found on an ankle. Just that. Just an ankle, a pair of hands, one brown, one white, clasped together, just that, no wrists. That was the image that, a footnote here, that stayed with me the longest uh, when I first read this. Yes, a pair of hands, one brown and one white, uh, clasped together there was a picture guess of uh, jumpers anyway uh, a burly welder she writes drove from Ohio to help and says softly we're working in a cemetery I'm standing in not on but in a graveyard each lamppost storefront scaffolding mailbox is plastered with homemade photocopied posters a racial ethnic rainbow of faces and names, death the great leveler. Not only of the financial CEOs, their images usually formal, white, male, older with suit and tie, but the mailroom workers, receptionists, waiters. You pass enough of the missing posters and the faces, names, and descriptions become familiar. The Albanian window cleaner guy with the bushy eyebrows, the teenage Mexican dishwasher who had an American flag tattoo, the janitor's assistant who'd emigrated from Ethiopia, the Italian-American grandfather who was a donut cart tender, the 23-year-old Chinese-American junior pastry chef 
at the Windows on the World restaurant, who'd gone in early that day so she could prep a business breakfast for 500. The firefighter who'd posed jauntily wearing his green shamrock necktie. The dapper African-American mid-level manager with a small gold ring in his ear who handled minority affairs for one of the companies. The middle-aged secretary laughing up at the camera from her wheelchair. The maintenance worker with the Polish name holding his newborn baby. Most of the faces are smiling. Most of the shots are family photos. Many are recent wedding pictures. This is Robin Morgan writing uh, an essay called Ghosts and Echoes. She lives a block and a half from Ground Zero in New York, and uh, she's writing about uh, the days and weeks following the hit. Uh, We're going to have an anniversary this coming Monday, and we're going to be talking uh, more about this, I'm sure, over the weekend on KPFA. Uh, She goes on, Robin Morgan goes on to write, I have little national patriotism, but I do have a passion for New York, partly for our gritty secular energy of endurance and because the world does come here. Eighty countries had offices in the Twin Towers. Sixty-two countries lost citizens in the catastrophe. An estimated 300 of our British cousins died, either in the planes or the buildings. My personal comfort is found not in ceremonies or prayer services, but in watching the plain, truly heroic, a word usually misused, the truly heroic work of ordinary New Yorkers that we take for granted every day, who have risen to this moment unpretentiously, too busy even to notice their expressing the splendor of the human spirit. Firefighters, medical aides, nurses, ER doctors, police officers, sanitation workers, construction workers, ambulance drivers, structural engineers, crane operators, rescue workers, they're called tunnel rats. And she goes on here to write about the rhetoric of retaliation beginning. She says it's in full-throated roar. Yes, she writes, gun sales are up, flag sales are up. Some radio stations have banned playing John Lennon's song, Imagine. I remember, yes, uh, I'm footnoting here, yes, I remember when some of the radio stations banned playing John Lennon's song, Imagine. For me, that was emblematic of the uh, nonsense that accompanied this event uh Despite appeals from all officials, um, even from Bush, mosques were attacked, firebombed, Arab Americans hid their children indoors, and she goes on to list the hate crimes that, uh, oh dear, it was so sad. Now, a lot of people said that it was less than we might have expected. Uh, in any case, she, she does... Remind it well. She goes on to say that the right-wing televangelists Jerry Falwell and Pat Robertson, <laughs> our own 
homegrown American Taliban leaders, appeared on Robertson's TV show, The 700 Club, where Jerry Falwell blamed, quote, the pagans and the abortionists and the feminists and the gays and the lesbians and the American Civil Liberties Union, the people for the American way and all those groups who have tried to secularize America. He blamed them for what occurred in New York. Uh, and Robertson replied, I totally concur. Even the Bush White House called those remarks inappropriate. Uh, and she goes on to talk about the uh, the uh, reaction of the idiot fringe. Uh, yes, she does point out that the sirens have lessened. It's more than a week past, but the drums have started. Funeral drums, war drums. Yep. That's it. Uh, a call-up of 50,000 reservists to active duty. Justice Department seeking increased authority for wider surveillance. Anyway, the rest of the essay goes on to talk about the response that uh, our government so intelligently, wisely, and thoughtfully decided was appropriate for this event. Uh, sad, sad, sad. We lost the moral moment. I will try to finish Robin Morgan's essay on ghosts and echoes written in New York City the weeks after 9-11. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20 with Jack Hirschman's poem about uh, the Twin Towers, the hit. And until then, I hope you go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can.